0: Make your flex time work for you. Visit MyFlexLearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's MyFlexLearning.com slash B-E. Transformational change is something we all want. Professional development is something we all need to make that transformational change. But how often do we rush to change without fully developing those involved in the change. Hey, everyone, Dr. Jones here with another podcast episode of Seeing to Lead. And this week, I talked to Jonathan Nalder, who talks about just those two things from the tech side. You see, Jonathan has a long history in tech. He's passionate about it. But he realizes that all the new tech coming out is a transformational change. The thing is, he explains Transformational change can come from simple steps. It's just a matter of stepping back and objectively looking at how well the learning is taking place so that we can improve on it and actually reach that change. You see, especially around tech, it's critical to define learning goals before purchasing anything. Otherwise, schools, education becomes an easy market for companies looking to push their items. Now, that's not to say it's necessarily a bad thing, but it might not be the thing we need. So in comes professional development. As leaders, as educators, we must make sure that professional development with new technology must not only focus on how the tech works, but also address the learning goals and outcomes. He gives a great example talking about the Wii. Yes, the video game Wii. Look, this is a great conversation with Jonathan. He's got a ton of great things to say and even leans into a little bit of a hint around AI and the importance of the human aspect of education. As always, I appreciate you listening. Do me a favor, hop on social media and share your biggest takeaway from this episode right after you subscribe and leave an honest rating and review so that other people can hear just like you. Now, let's get to getting better with Jonathan Nalder on Seeing to Lead. Let's talk about flex time in schools. The potential benefits to our students make it worth exploring. More time for personalized learning, increased choice and agency for students, and the increased engagement that comes along with it, dedicated time for intervention, Overall, as school leaders, it gives us and our faculty more tools to increase academic achievement. But the implementation and management of flex time can be a challenge. Tricky logistics and a lack of clear accountability systems can prevent teachers from buying in and can hold us back from ensuring students make good use of their time. I'm pleased to share that my flex learning provides a solution to these challenges and more. MyFlex Learning helps you create and manage flexible time for any purpose. And with seamless SIS integration, a student locator, flexible daily rostering, and an intuitive mobile app, it eliminates the common challenges of implementation and management. Want to see for yourself? Visit myflexlearning.com/b to learn more and receive $500 off the first year of use. That's myflexlearning.com/be
1: it's a fascinating time. It doesn't happen that often in human history where you have this kind of major change. But for me and what we discovered with all of those future skills, it's the human skills. It's it's relating to each other that we if we have more time for that, that's going to be a fantastic future. And to break it down into like a school example, I know there's a lot of teachers who are quite excited at the moment. If they can cut back on their workload, just the amount of time it takes to prepare lessons and mark, etc., they're not just gonna sit around. You know, they're they're gonna be able to actually sit down and have conversations with students.
0: <laughs> Dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Today on Scene to Lead, I'm joined by Jonathan Nalder. Through 23 years in education, Jonathan has been at the edge of learning how digital tools, STEM, AR, VR, AI, environment sensors, and a focus on our humanity can boost the success of students everywhere. He has also learned by working with luminaries such as Dr. Ruben, and I know I'm going to say this wrong, but I'm going to give it a run, and uh, maybe Jonathan can correct me after I'm done with this, but dura? from Samer, Dr. Larry Johnson, NMC, an and Professor Stephen Hepwell, Lernometer, the Future We Community and his current role as Chief Futures Officer at Stempunks. How tools alone are not enough but must be combined with futures thinking to truly transform lives. To this end Jonathan is writing the first book in a series for fellow edunauts to be titled Design Thinking 5.0. He is a globally awarded innovator, Mars Society ambassador, ISTE online presenter, and CoSpaces and Merge EDU ambassador. This is going to be a great conversation with Jonathan because as you can hear in this bio, there's a lot about future and there's a lot about a focus on humanity and the whole picture to boost su- success for students. So, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Hey. hey, Chris, Dr. Chris
1: should I say officially? Yeah, this is this is great to be joining you obviously from other side of the world just goes to show how big the education community can be. Yeah, so I appreciate the intro. Uh, it's a bit of a, a auspicious day at my end. I, I know we have different education systems over uh, here in Australia. Uh, our schools finished a couple of weeks ago for sort of end of years. Is, is end of our school year, and uh, where I work at Stempunks, obviously it's nearly Christmas. So today is actually our last official day of work. So I'm chatting to you on my my last day before the holiday holiday
0: break yeah it's a great way to go out <laughs> nice i so tomorrow oddly enough tomorrow is our last day before holiday break mm-hmm. because christmas is upon us and you mm-hmm. know as as far as the official piece yeah we can do away with the official part from <laughs> here on out chris works fine but the other <laughs> official part that i absolutely butchered and i feel bad about is dr rubin from sammer how do you pronounce? Uh, his yeah. Putendera. Putindera. OK, so there we got all the official stuff out yeah. of the way, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's so thinking about that and going back and correcting part of your bio, there's a lot in that bio that has to do with a lot of things. So if you could round that out for us and then maybe even end up with a little explanation about stem punks. Yeah. Um, so
1: I guess one of the advantages, like of having been in education for a while, yeah, it's, it's just gone past 23 years, just about for me is that I guess you've been doing stuff long enough to maybe have a little bit of an idea about what works and what, you know, what you're doing. I guess you would hope. <laughs> as a educator that you're always learning yourself as well along the along the way. Yeah, so you know having the chance to have just tried and done a bunch of stuff, I guess, and found out what, you know, what really works for me. I guess one if I if I sort of go back to the beginning for me, my background is actually more in the arts and the humanities. I started my university just as a bachelor of arts student, so just trying out you know, we used to run little art galleries, and I did a did a lot of writing and poetry and uh, theatre, uh, that that kind of stuff. But there's a lot in that kind of world where you're trying to understand the world, I guess, and understand people and their motivations. You know, that that sort of the humanities, where I'm coming from. Um, after doing that for a couple of years, it was great fun, but I did get get sick of being a poor art student, <laughs> and uh, so teaching. And I'd already done a little bit of a couple of education subjects, just because it's fascinating. So teaching was really my get a real job moment. <laughs> it's like okay, I need to get get a degree that you know is actually going to employ me and pay me as well. But yeah, absolutely loved it. I wasn't super smart. I did uh, my I was high school trained, but my combination, as we have in Australia, was two two high school subjects was drama and history. Of theater and history so yeah still very much humanities based but there's n- there's almost no schools that want someone with that combination you might be history in English or you know yeah it's just not <laughs> not a great combination yeah I know I went out into the into the the world of education I ended up doing spent quite a bit of time in England to begin with and did uh just supply teaching and contract teaching in some rather interesting inner, inner city London schools. That was my first paid, paid education gigs. And I probably learned an awful lot about behavior management to begin begin with. Um, but then, yeah, even back in Australia, there, there just wasn't a lot of call for that that combination. So in a way, it meant that I ended up working in a whole lot of different schools, uh, doing a lot of different subjects and work, getting exposed to yeah, many, many different Departments ended up working mostly in primary schools, actually, and did a transition where I trained up as a learning difficulties teacher, what we call a learning difficulty. So it's not learning, it's not students with disabilities, but uh, the more the learning difficulties end of things. So students who might be, you know, two or three years behind when it comes to their literacy or their numeracy for various reasons. So not a, not a like an in classroom teacher, but working with smaller groups of students with those issues and yeah trying to understand <laughs> what was causing them and how to help them and design the programs that that they needed yeah so that was yeah pretty fascinating but basically after doing that that for a while i started experimenting on on the the kids with different technologies actually and there's always i guess, as i said this quest of what's actually going to work for for some of these kids with just yeah terrible learning gaps and associated um home life etc yeah, and I mean we started out with just really basic things like digital voice recorders was kind of a new thing. <laughs> this is where that twenty-three years comes in. So instead of using a tape recorder um in the classroom, we you know, we had a little little digital ones. But for me that was I mean, it's just, it's just a simple little device, but it was quite transformational because if you can imagine uh, you know, I have a group of five or six generally boys sitting around a table and they take turns reading, you know, a little passage. And um for one, that's really boring for the you know for the other kids while they wait for their turn, I and mean, then teachers could could relate to the, this kind of scenario. But then once a student finishes reading, or maybe at the end when they've partly forgotten, then you give them a bit of feedback about you know with how they went with pronunciation and and sounding out words and et cetera. And it's just really inefficient. <laughs> and you know it's kind of you do what you can obviously with the resources and time that you have, but a little digital voice recorder could split them into pairs. They can do all the reading at once and just record each other. So they're actually active. They actually had a job while the other one's reading. And then it's an instant replay. It's like, oh, let's listen back to it. Boom. And if students needed to listen back three or four, six times before they picked up all, you know, all the errors themselves, you know, self-feedback, they could because it's just a boom, replay, boom, replay. Instead of all that time waiting, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So even that simple little thing was pretty, pretty transformational. You know, the students could just focus on reading. And listening to themselves, they didn't have to try and troubleshoot themselves while they were they were reading, I guess, because uh, it was recorded. They can do that bit afterwards. So even that lessening that cognitive load over time, yeah. And I'm just going, you know, this is a little fifty dollar <laughs> digital voice recorder. You know, I think the worst thing that happened was some batteries got stolen a couple of times. It's a really small investment, you know, from you know from a resources perspective but quite transformational in terms of, you know, the students and their learning. So that's, I guess, kicked off a bit of a career pivot towards, oh, I wonder what other technologies, you know, and how that can really assist students. And we got some, this is sort of very early days of iPod touches and some little laptops, et cetera. And yeah, sort of kicked off this journey of of interest for me around what I call personal learning devices, mm. devices that could help students be independent of, the, of me as the you know, they're not just reliant on you, as the teacher and then once we got to a world of you know apps and podcasts and you know things like Khan Academy and you know suddenly there's all these resources that if the students know how to access them and you know assess them as well so we were actually some of my work with those students changed from okay let's just go through the same rote activities or you know over and over the repetition which is definitely useful for a lot of those kids but let's also add in well how are you going to find a resource to help you when on when I'm not around and because of that technology that was there, that kind of made that available. So yeah, in terms of the the bio, that kind of took me on that that kind of journey. And I sort of transitioned to training teachers in what I had found worked, working with sort of the education department across the the state where I am here in Australia, in Queensland. Yeah, so pretty fascinating. And when you're in that position of training teachers, of course, there's a lot of pressure <laughs> Because <laughs> you know, being a teacher yourself, like you know how precious their time is, you know how small the window for you know change and and everything is. So that's kind of been, been quite a privilege, yeah, to work to work in that that space for a for a number of years. And and well, let's face it, it's a, it's an excuse to try out new tech all the time. You know, I'm definitely one of those early adopter type people. You know, we need that. We need the teachers who will actually take that new stuff and. Test it out and try it and see—is it. it actually going to be classroom ready and you know fit fit the classroom or, or not? We don't want to do that just for its you know its own sake, and you know that that's a trap that I've fallen into, especially in my early days, just getting excited about the tech, you know the, the you know the shiny stuff as we call it, and not doing enough work on the oh, but does it actually work in the classroom yeah. kind of things. So. That's always been something I'm trying to be very aware of. And and as we mentioned again, I've I've been really fortunate as some of the mentors and, and people I've got to work with, people who'd already kind of got that. it It's about the pedagogy and the learning and the learning goals for students. And then the tools that you choose come along later. And even today, a lot of, you know, with Stempunks, you go into schools and they go, oh, we've got this cupboard full of drones or this cupboard full of robots or, you know, and it, it was bought because they wanted some tech not because they had some learning goals that, that they were really passionate about achieving. And then they decided which was the best tech. It's this very, very weird thing. And I'm sure you, Chris, probably have plenty of stories of this. And everyone, you know, educators listening. It's this weird thing in education, whether we're just the victims of what we're seen as an easy market from companies that sell stuff without without us having gone on that journey first of deciding the learning goals and then then choosing, yeah, we seem to be very susceptible to that marketing hey,
0: promise. Yeah. I've always been yeah. surprised by that. I've always, you know, in, in education, when you talk about science or anything like that, like the scientific method and you test hypotheses and all about this, and then when you, when you run a test, you have to have a, a certain amount of longitudinal data to make sure it's working. And we, when it comes to technology, don't do any of that. We get an initiative going for about a year, year and a half, then we get rid of it, then we do another one for a year, year and a half, mm-hmm. where we never let it sit around long enough to see if we get any real progress out of it mm-hmm. or benefits from it. It's just, that's always been amazing to me, such a contradiction in what we talk about and what we actually do.
1: Mm, yeah, the lack of rigor around that. So yeah, it's a, it's a weird thing, but that's definitely something I've always tried to keep in mind. I know. So those early days when I was trying out some of those tech students, I got the chance to tell some of the rest of the the teachers at my school about it and show them various things and yeah there was a few other teachers who were interested in that sort of di- it was digital pedagogy, digital literacy sort of early days of awareness around that I guess and we actually managed to get some a grant we got some money to get a Nintendo Wii oh, um, oh. and uh, you know we had a space in our library the librarian was great and we set it up with a you know a sort of projector and we had four controllers and you know I'm sort of really excited at the time, and thinking, oh, there's all, you know, this is cool stuff that will happen, like students, motiv- motivated students. And in my head, you know, there, there was like an Olympics, Olympics game. So you could have four students who were doing, say, a running activity, and they could time themselves, get all that data, take it back to the classroom, and, you know, compare and graph it, and et cetera, et cetera. That's in my head. That's what I was imagining. So then I ran PD for the teachers and how you... But the PD that I ran was... This is how you turn on. This is how you turn it on. Uh, this is how you connect one of the remotes, the Wiimotes. You know, this is how you launch the software. Okay, go for it. <laughs> and then six months later, I sort of sat back, going, "Oh, like why is it being used for reward time?" So the number one use was, "All right, these five kids from my class have been good all, all term or whatever." Uh, they get to go down and play at the end, you know, on the last day of school or something as a reward. And I'm going, this is not like, yeah, but <laughs> yeah. So it took me a little while, but it was part of my journey as well. Realizing, oh, actually we didn't talk about the pedagogy or, you know, any of that at all. Yeah. And so that was, yeah, <laughs> yeah. important learning, learning moment for me, I guess.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, that's, I, that, look, that's important. And we say it a lot, the pedagogy and learning goals before, before mm-hmm. the technology. And, you know, so how do we, let me ask you this question. So you training teachers and knowing that, and I love the journey you took, by the way, which I, I've got to ask you a question about that after, but we'll get to that. How does a leader ensure, and and for principals, it might be difficult because the central office, if central office in, in our setup here in the States, dictates what's bought or what initiative there is. But how do principals either step in to help, Or step in to protect those teachers by, I guess, focusing on the pedagogy and the learning goals instead of just getting the tech or the equipment in their hands. So that change, because change is difficult enough, but so that change is actually meaningful and teachers actually benefit from the new technologies coming in.
1: Yeah, yeah, great. Great question. That's sort of the keeping it real kind of question. Yeah, so for me, from my perspective, having been a teacher and and then that, that's kind of a little bit more senior role in, in training and supporting other teachers. i would always seen the admin as being this incredibly vital, you know, admin principals, you know, deputy principals, etc. being been almost the most vital sort of piece in the sense of... You know, they're the ones who can make the time, and make the priorities, etc. And when I talk about learning goals, I've always had, always had this sense in when I was in schools that a school can only really do two or three big things at, at once. You know, there's, you know, the amount of new initiatives that come in and, oh, we need a whole new behavioral management policy and everyone needs to be up to speed on that and know and be consistent or, you know, new curriculum elements that are coming in or, you know, whatever it is, all those systemic elements. And then you may want to have, oh, we want to connect with our community and we want our school to feel like a family or whatever the more personal, you know, you know, goal might be for the school. But yeah, there's only room and it's just a headspace thing or it's just reality that, you know, you can only do two two or three of those at a time. Everything else just falls by the wayside (laughs) with how busy everyone gets and, doesn't matter how important they are or how much you would want them to be or, you know, all be done, that that's it. So obviously principals have that key role in, in helping decide what are those going to be mm. and then allocating the time for that. And when it comes to this transformational stuff, look every school will always have those teachers, one or two or whatever, here or there. Who are doing some of it themselves some somehow, and that will naturally maybe spread a little bit you know to their colleagues, which is great, and then might maybe even a little bit like me, where you're like, oh occasionally on a on a staff training day you might get to have an have an hour or two to spread it maybe a little bit wider, but ultimately if yeah if it's not one of those two or three big things so however a principal yeah. can help make that happen, and I'm not talking about make technology training one of those things i'm talking about okay and what we use now at stempunks where you know you might think stem you know science technology engineering maths okay that that that's needed that's great but our big thing is really design thinking to be honest and solving real problems and stem is a great way to to do that fits perfectly with stem so it's design thinking actually take your school on that journey first where you know, you understand what do we really care about and, you know, our community, what are the needs of the students, etc. What are the, the goals that the teachers are passionate about? And then start defining, OK, what are we going to focus on here for us? Well, let, let's come up with the ideas and now let's try out some things. But going on that personal, you know, local school journey and then deciding, all right, now we're going to buy, you know, buy these particular tools or use this, these particular programs, making that one of those, that journey one of those um, yeah, big two or three things would be the, <laughs> the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, And there's no one else who can shield teachers a little bit from some of the other commitments or yeah, allocate the
0: budget as needed to, to carve out the, the, the space to do that, I guess. Hmm. Yeah, the whole idea of less is more. Yeah, you know, that as well. Just so they can focus on it. Supporting your teachers and students seems to be a struggle. They just don't seem to be engaged. You wish they would take more responsibility for their learning and culture of the building, but they just don't seem to be empowered enough to do it. So my question is, have you checked out the book, Seeing to Lead, yet? It's all about creating a true educational experience where learning, growth, leadership, and community take center stage. Full of strategies and resources, Seeing to Lead is about attaining that goal, By employing a model that supports, engages, and empowers all individuals to become leaders themselves. Pick up a copy today at seeingtolead.com. That's S E E I N G T O L E A D.com. Remember, you don't become a leader and then decide you need to support and recognize others more than yourself. It is the moment you realize it's about supporting and recognizing others that you become a leader com. You mentioned STEM punks again, so StemPunks, mm-hmm. interesting name. Talk to me about StemPunks a little yeah. bit. Like, what is it you do yeah
1: well Sempunks is great because um I spent that time working in the a Z in the education system then I worked for a sort of large adult training organization here TAFE it's sort of vet level I guess and then as a lot of educators do its point went out on my own with consulting and set up a community called Future We which was around basically what are the future skills that students are going to need there's an awful lot potentially there's a lot of talk in that space but it's still very undefined (laughs) Mm. so that was great i had about three three and a bit years working in that space developed some mars and space focus workshops which is sort of a personal passion of mine but as a way of creating really open learning experiences for students but i have no idea about the business side of things (laughs) so (laughs) trying to succeed at all of those things was not really for me so teaming up with stempunks who are also here in brisbane had the a great you know our founder michael he's sort of a, has actually as an engineer but entrepreneur background, so he kind of had that that bigger picture business side of things sorted, but really values the having the educators drive the programs so that was a, that's been a that's been a fantastic nearly four years for me actually yeah working with stempunk, so obviously stem they couldn't trademark steampunks, which is sort of a union what yeah. people sort of more used to the term you're more used to steampunks are just too generic a term. <laughs> So STEM punks, and people often ask us, oh, where's the A? You guys, you know, do you not do art or other things? But, you know, we are very much STEM plus design thinking. And that's obvious when you sort of see our programs and um, the way we work, etc. But, you know, we've got to be honest, the punk in the name is good to have as well. And that's the idea of always asking questions and looking at things that bit differently, keeping that that kind of uh, inspiration I guess is part of the DNA I guess what's 10 does so yeah it's very much yeah, all, all of our programs are, are really based around what we call immersive themes or, or stories so like space this is <laughs> one of our major programs we got to work with a whole bunch of oh, I'll show it to you space 2101 nice. um, we got to work with a whole bunch of astronauts in the last couple of years on this program a lot of NASA astronauts and it's the idea that it's the year 2101 and By then, we think it's going to be normal for humans to live and work in space. But what we want to know is, you know, do students have what it takes to be one of them? And we'll kick them off on a learning journey where you start in Earth training and then you move up to, hey, you've been successful. It's now the year 2,102 and you're working in orbit and then a year later you get to work on the moon and then another sort of year beyond that you get to work on mars so there's an immersive kind of story that goes along in different challenges and now i mean students can get immersed in that and there's room for their own ideas and their solutions where you go through the design thinking steps each time now they learn a whole bunch of technology and maths and you know science along the way but that's for me I'll be honest with you, Chris. There was a time where I was very anti-stem. Again, coming from all that that so humanities arts area, you kind of look over and go, "Why are they getting all this funding and attention?" You know, it's just <laughs> right. it's just kind of boring maths and you know science and stuff like they have a lot of resources already. What's the you know what's the deal? So here I'm <laughs> working at STEM now, you know, a company like Stempunks and going into schools and and you know doing these programs. But I guess what clicked for me one time was that actually even in especially in a high school setting um, maybe similar in in the US but having four departments actually working and collaborating together is such is pretty rare yep that's heaven um, <laughs> And that's pretty special. And once you get, you know, three or four of those working together, then of course there's, you know, you start to build a culture and other departments can come in as well, you know, and be part of that. So I go,ing you know what, I, I can, that's something I can really support. And the other aspect is it's always based around solving a problem. What's a real world problem that affects us that we're going to investigate and, and solve. And again, that's an approach to learning that. I can really get behind and, and support. And I feel like, you know, as I mentioned, my background in humanities, I feel like that's a contribution I can bring then so that, you know, we don't, you know, somewhere like stempunks, we don't just get stuck on, okay, here's we're only gonna look at sort of hard maths or hard science right type problems, but we're gonna keep it more open. So one of the example, I guess, scenarios I can share is when we're doing Mars, for instance, you know, rather than looking at a specific problem that's a bit close ended like how do we solve the radiation problem or how do we get enough water for settlers on Mars? Still interesting topics, but our approach would be much more, okay, well, what do humans need to be happy and healthy living on Mars? Right. You know, living so far away from home, what do they need to be happy and healthy? Now, some students might concentrate in on the radiation or the, or the water and that that's completely valid and fine but they might also go in really interesting different directions that you couldn't have planned for. So I have told this story lots of times, but I had one group of girls who basically built a rainbow at their Mars base. <laughs> and, you know, we always liked to have a, a showcase and um, the students stood up and we had their base up on the screen there. We use those interested, We use co-spaces as 3d design. Software where they could actually build it, build this Mars base in 3D, and then here's this rainbow, and it sort of pops up on the screen, and everyone's sitting there going, oh, "Did they really get the brief? Like, yeah. you know, <laughs> looks colourful, great, but, but then then they started explaining it that you know this is the only rainbow on Mars, and people would come from all over just to come and see that, and it's it's worth investing the the water for the water spray and you know the light yeah. energy etc. It's worth investing in that just be, to give people that little taste of home. That's funny, <laughs> you know. And you yeah. know, as an adult, like you, you know, when you as older, you get locked more into let's be functional and logical. And those are some of my bet, my favourite experiences. I guess when you can keep it open ended and give students that space to see what might they come up. We had boys come up with a version of soccer or you know football. On Mars, what that would be like in low gravity, the lower gravity. Um, but you know, you're it's an incentive to meet people. You know, the competition, but also, yeah, you know, you're you're meeting other people. You're being there's the fitness element that would fit that brief of happy and healthy on Mars. Yeah, just all kinds of weird and wonderful. Yeah, the idea of all the problem solving. Yeah, when you give them that space. Now, along the way, as I said, they're learning a whole bunch of the science and the maths and the other elements. Right. Um, that that they need. Yeah. And a part of our mission at Stempunks, I guess, is trying to get as many students as possible interested in. You know, if we walk into a classroom at a school that I've never been been to before, uh, it might be, you know, some older students even, you know, year tens or year elevens, who so it's definitely too cool for school when they've seen seen it all. And how are you going to get all of those students, you know, not just the ones who might be more interested naturally um, in STEM, but how are you going to get everyone in that room? to find their little way into STEM. And that's where those sort of more open yeah, scenarios come in. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, well, there's so much you can fit under those open scenarios. When you're asking a question like that, they're trying to solve a larger problem. Just, you know, and, and we talk a lot about equity and the importance of mm-hmm. diverse experiences and perspectives. Yeah. Well, when you, when you put an open-ended problem like that up and then ask people, you know, like you're saying, what would be a happy and healthy life, How many different interpretations of happy and healthy you get from the students, which Mm -hmm. then drives their learning and they're they're performing all the conceptual pieces to get Mm -hmm. to where they need to get to. That's I mean, I mean, that's just that's fantastic stuff.
1: Kind of feel like, you know, if I hadn't had that humanities background. It might not, you know, dawn, yeah. dawn on me, but I'm, you know, I'm still very interested more in that. Oh, what are, you know, what are, how do humans really think? And especially the empathize stage of design thinking. Mm. Um, and certainly when I was doing the work with the, that future We community, I mentioned that was sort of about 200 experts in education, but also other fields meeting and discussing and basically working out what, you know, what are these future skills? And that that initial kind of, we used to talk about it being just the play Place phase, but, but it very much aligns with the empathise, let's just research and explore, get your heads around the topic, etc. first. Um, and for me, yeah, that that's that really human element. Often, you know, we don't have time for an education. It's very, you know, we don't, a new, you're introducing a new topic, a new subject to students. <laughs> the first thing you do is here's the rubric, here's the assessment sheet. Right. And you've already locked it in at that at that point. Yeah, um, you've already capped it off. And, you know, I guess it, it's the way that, you know, the system has to work in a lot of ways with, with timeframes and, and how much you have to have to fit in. But if you can ever carve out time before that, just for that open exploring and, and playing, one, you're acknowledging that you're humans and this is how, you know, when we come across something new, you know, that's what we like to do. That's what works for us. Just play around and be curious, you know, make some space for that. Before you get to the, the defined stage of, all right, here's the actual yeah assessment sheet or rubric or Mm. or whatever yeah and every time that we get get to do that by the time you get to what the students present at the end it's always much richer and then you know they're more passionate about it interested in it and they'll they'll go so much further in their motivation to what they learn because they've had that chance initially just to explore and find their find their little piece of it Mm, but not easy to do no doesn't come naturally to the the when you talk about the education system. It doesn't come fit naturally into that. So again, admin principles, if you can carve out that as one of the things, the attitudes, the priorities. Yeah, that, that's great.
0: Hmm. Perfect. So I have two questions. We're we're getting near the end of the podcast and I have two questions hmm. I ask every guest, but I do have to ask you a quick one, just off the top of my head while I'm sitting here thinking, you you've mentioned a couple of times the future skills, so to speak. Hmm. Is it a long list that you folks have nailed it down to? Mm-hmm. Or is it, are, are there a top five, a top three that you uh, care? Yeah, the one, the, it was fascinating the
1: work that we did. So it was about a year and a half or so just of people throwing, firstly throwing in like, what is the master list? Like what is all the stuff right, that people right. consider? And I mean, that list was up to over 60 or 70. And we, you know, we're talking, there's nothing kind of groundbreaking. Like things like growth mindset, you know, and, you know, soft skills. you know, said so leadership, I mean, you, you name it, like, curiosity creativity there's just a big big range and then we did some work basically summarizing that down we got it down to about sort of 50 i guess key ones mindsets and skills etc which is still still way too much
0: it's so hard to Uh, narrow it down we were
1: then we were then able to and it was a great piece of work to kind of categorize those etc and it really did fall into about five kind of categories which were a nice little progression and the first one was yeah that just exploring and playing. Type stage. Second one was was around relating, like your team, your people, making sure that's all in place and set up first. And only then did you get to more that defining, actual planning type type stage. Then you want to prototype and test it, make sure it works. And then the last one actually was one that we often miss out on as well. There's a whole bunch of things that that fell into a category around showcasing and telling your story. It doesn't matter how great. Uh, project you've done, if you can't actually explain it or show it to other people, then, you know, the impact's going to be obviously not great. So that was another, yeah, sort of final important awesome. thing to have on the end there. Yeah, and I mean, um, so that project's kind of been, you know, on pause for about, <laughs> about three years. Yeah. But the work and the studies, and there was a self-assessment tool as well we developed for for adults and students as well, where they could, they could go in and just say, oh, I wonder where I am up to against these future skills. So that's still all available at futurewe.org. And then I've sort of brought, that, said, all, all that work into what we're doing at, at Stempunks as well. And design thinking is not quite as broad as, as that. But as, mm-hmm. as a, you know, as, as we use it, well, that empathize stage can really also be the playing and exploring stage. Um, and then we generally always will, will have that showcase at, at the end as well after you've done your prototyping and you've iterated and you've evaluated and iterated then you'll you'll want to have a, a showcase where you you show it off. So that's yeah. that future skills. And the other interesting thing, and then we're getting towards the end, but I wanted to mention is obviously you know AI is kind of the big big thing at the yeah. moment. Just a little and, bit. You know, anyone who's been a sci-fi fan, you know, science fiction fan, or you've seen you know movies based in the future, there's always been this way off at some point. You know, we'll have all the, these kind of AI tools, but it's kind of starting to happen now, and not just. I guess, you know, in labs or in big companies or whatever, but, you know, tools that anyone can just jump in and start using. For me, that's the, the difference in the last year. Yeah, so there's, a, you know, we, we might need to have a whole other discussion sometime, Chris, about the effect of that. But in terms of future skills, the quick summary is, if the technology can replace our mental abilities, like what are we going to do, uh, you know, as humans instead? Because we kind of had this period, and this come from my history teacher, background I guess. You know, we have this period where basically forever, if you know, humans and work meant physical, like we did something physically. That was, you know, every you know, and you know, there's only like well, you can even say medieval times, et cetera, up to then only two percent or whatever people who were literate and who could do more the mental mental work. But then of course, the industrial revolution, a lot of machines and then electricity, et cetera, et cetera, most of us had to switch to mental labor as our for our work. Yep. And that's made our whole modern society possible, being able to write and read and communicate and then technology, et cetera, of course. But now if a lot of our mental labor can be done by machines, yeah, like what? So it's a fascinating time. It doesn't happen that often in human history where you have this kind of major change. But for me and what we discovered with all those future skills, it's the human skills. It's it's relating to each other that we if we have more time for that that's going to be a fantastic future and to break it down into like a school example i know there's a lot of teachers who are quite excited at the moment if they can cut back on their workload just the amount of time it takes to prepare lessons and mark etc they're not just going to sit around you know they they're going to be able to actually sit down and have conversations with students you know, whether it's just giving, actually giving proper feedback, you know, being able to sit down and discuss properly, or whether it's just building those relationships and, you know, being more human. And the education system is a system, it's very dehumanizing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, how else are you going to mass educate everyone? Just right. sort of being, being really honest, like it's got to be a, a system, but at the same time, it's sort of, yeah, it's not great for all well most humans there are some some people really love that the the more systematized the better it really does really suit some people, but um, in general, so yeah, you know that would be a great future if we're if we're all freed up more to be more human um and that and very much yep those future skills a large percentage of them ended up being in that in that area. how do we relate to each other and support each other and you know they're kind of called soft skills i guess in in business circles, yep. But yeah, the feeling was that those are those are going to become more and more important, I and mean, it kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to mm-hmm. in that. look when you look at it that way. Hmm. So a, yeah, a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's excellent <laughs> because AI is is such a big thing. You know, you've had such a winding road mm-hmm. leading up to the point where you where you are now, or where you find yourself now. Um, if you weren't where you are now, involved in education, educating teachers on STEM and design thinking. Who, not what, do you think you would be?
1: Oh, who, not what? Yeah. I mean, like, my fantasy version is, you know, working somewhere in the space industry, I guess. Um, I did train before I went into anything else, straight out of high school. I actually did um, pilot training. <laughs> really? Um, which was amazing at, uh, yeah, such, such a young age. So, yeah, there's a whole alternate <laughs> alternate <laughs> career there, potentially. Um cool. would be pretty fantastic, but... You know, I, I just certainly looking back now, like the impacts. And I think we were talking before we started recording about, you know, where do you feel you can have the maximum impact? And there's a lot to be gained in life about focusing on, yeah, on that. So, you know, having that sort of more traditional individual career, you know, thinking about it now, because it's a good question, Chris. Probably, yeah, definitely want to
0: choose the way that it's gone in terms of that impact side of things. Mm. Cool. <laughs> so the last question I, I want to ask you that I ask everybody is what's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to better support, engage and empower those they serve? There's probably many, many answers to that.
1: I've heard for, a ton. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's that's one of the great things about your podcast. I think for me, my like request suggestion would be to carve out that time for yourself, first of all, for mm. being playful and exploring And it might even just be that, you know, you have a certain program you need to plan out and implement at the school that's coming up or a new initiative, or it might just be something in your personal life. But if you can start a habit of, you know what, before I jump straight into the full on planning stage... Uh, I'm gonna give myself that space and time just to read up, explore some things, go and visit some places, yeah, you know, chat, chat with people, don't make any, you know, before you even make starting to make any decisions or anything like that. So you can make that a personal habit to to give yourself permission for that. It might just be, you know, planning your Christmas trip or <laughs> what you know, whatever <laughs> it is. Start that as a habit. And then if you get that personal sense of, oh, you know what, this is actually a really this is the way to do it, then you'll start to give your staff permission. And you know can start to become part of the culture, and then the, the teachers can start giving their students permission, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. for that that same sort of thing. And it's a yeah, it's not something you can kind of how like how do you mandate something like that time period or that that approach? Like yeah, it's you know how do you put that into the school structure or whatever? It, it, how do you define a culture in that? You know, our cultural priorities. It's a bit mm. ephemeral, I guess, but. Yeah, once someone starts doing it, it it, it can spread, and then you definitely see everyone being more human to each other, basically.
0: But you know, the more that it spreads, that was nice. You tied that right back in a circle about humanities and understanding the world Mm. and those around us. Yeah, it's it's the way to do it. So, hey, Jonathan, I had a great time talking today, and we clearly maybe uncovered a topic that being AI that we can talk about again. Mm. Later at some point, we could probably talk for quite a while about that. But um, if anybody wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that?
1: So you can find a bunch of my links, you know, like I'm generally pretty active on different social media places. So if you go to jnxyz.net, you can generally find links to my email and yeah, some of those social accounts as well. I'd love to chat about these topics and yeah, meet, meet more people in the in the area. So yeah, jnxyz.net. Yeah, you'll be able to follow me up for now. That'd be great.
0: Mm. Cool. I will uh, definitely put that in the show notes. And thank, thank you. you very much for coming yeah. on today. Yeah, cool, cool Chris. Uh, this is where
1: we get to say happy holidays, Merry Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to chat again in the future. And a shout yeah. out to the, uh, the X Factor and Codebreaker and uh, here in Australia, the, the Mammoth EDU communities of uh, okay. teacher authors. I think that's how we originally connected was through some of those, yeah, yep. some of those networks of teachers writing books for teachers so
0: shout out to those guys yeah perfect well that's a wrap but not the end next step be sure to take action on something you heard here today Hey, thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you would like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast today, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating or review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Also, one last thing. Have you had a chance to pick up my latest five-star rated book yet? Grab your copy of Seeing to Lead anywhere you buy books or at seeingtolead.com. That's S-E-E-I-N-G-T-O-L-E-A-D.com where you can learn more and continue to improve. Now go have a successful week. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.